Well, we've reached part seven. <clears throat> part seven of Come, Buy, Eat and Drink. And we're studying that lukewarm letter, aren't we, that Jesus wrote. Not that the letter is lukewarm, the letter is very red hot. But Jesus was talking about lukewarmness of Christianity, of believers. Um, so, just because Wendy loves it. Shall we read some scripture together? I'm getting into the habit of uh, reading. I don't know who started. Was it Fads? Did you start getting us to read scripture out loud once? I don't know. But it was recently, I think. But hopefully, we're going to have uh, the PowerPoint on the screen in a minute. And we're going to be reading Psalm 42. If you want to turn to your Bibles and make notes, it's Psalm 42. But uh, we're going to read Psalm 42 out loud together. Can you see that? that size font at the back. Can you still see it? Yeah? Okay. Let's, uh, let's read together. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? I think it's got another page. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Okay. So just go back to the last slide, please, Ed. Thank you. Here we go. Now, the writer of this psalm seems to be giving his soul a serious talking to. At the end here and in the middle, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. That's what he writes several times. Now, the writer wisely understands and readily acknowledges that his soul is struggling. He said his soul is downcast 
and he's been crying a lot, day and night. He's looking back to better days. His bones are in agony and his foes taunt him. His soul, he says, is so disturbed within him. Now, like God, as we've learned over the weeks, made in his image, just like God, we are a spirit with a soul. And we also live in a body, don't we? So we have a soul, just like God. And in my experience, it doesn't take much to disturb my soul. Anyone else acknowledge that? Yeah, we're fickle, aren't we? We're fickle. We're wonderfully and beautifully made, but we're also fickle. It doesn't take much to upset my apple cart and my soul. And the writer of this powerful psalm is sharing how he is finding himself having to give his soul counsel. And his counsel is, put your hope in God. Now, if it were left to people's souls to dictate where we'd find some encouragement or some comfort, where would people's souls be naturally drawn to, particularly if they're disturbed, they're downcast, they've been crying? Chocolate. Okay? Chocolate. Yes, so I'm going to have to wean you off chocolate, aren't I? Okay, no? Yeah, food is often where a downcast and disturbed soul will lead you or a person to find some comfort. Okay? Where else would, if you just left your soul to dictate everything about you? Entertainment, television, things like that. Good and bad. Alcohol. Yes, it numbs it, doesn't it, potentially, or and it's escapism, same with drugs. Okay? Going to bed, yeah, under the duvet, or not getting out of bed. Yeah? Your soul, yeah, just hide away. Sex as well, relationships. Now, not all these things are bad things. We get good encouragement, don't we? We're good friendships. It's wonderful. Don't you feel relieved sometimes when you just pour it out to a friend? Yeah? And then they may pour it out to you as well. And so if, what, firstly you think, well, it's nice to share. And it's also nice to know that someone else is struggling too. So there is some comfort in that. But all these things that we've discussed that our soul would lead us to and find comfort in, they only give us a measure of comfort not very lasting in many ways. But as a believer, we need to remember that we can and we should tell our soul what to do. Because you are not a body that just has a soul. You are a born-again, spirit-filled believer who has a soul and lives in a temporary body. Is that correct? You're a spirit, a born-again spirit, which has a soul that lives in a temporary body. There are three parts to you, although they're kind of amazingly joined together and you couldn't really separate them unless the Word of God can 
as we found out, it can divide soul and spirit. It's that alive and sharp and active. Okay? But we just feel we're all one, mixed together. But actually, if we divide ourselves into three parts, spirit, soul, and body, there's one part of us that's definitely going to be left behind. So that's not an eternal part of us. So we're left with two parts that have some eternal significance. Our spirit and our soul. Now, which part of us between our spirit and soul knows best? Well, seeing as the Bible says that the Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit, the Bible says that Jesus' words are spirit, and the Bible also says that God's words need to be discerned spiritually, as it says in Corinthians. I'm going with the understanding that my soul should take a back seat to my spirit which is where the living water that Jesus promised would well up from within, welling up to eternal life. And it's also the part of me where Jesus is knocking. He's knocking on my soul, but he lives. I'm one with him in spirit. And... Likewise, as the writer here of this psalm says, talking to his soul, he says, put your hope in God. Now, he knows, and as believers, we are blessed to have all 66 books of the Bible. He had the first five, I'm guessing, and some of the others, but he didn't have the psalms because he was one of the writers. They hadn't been collated yet, have they? He's just one of them. Okay? We've got 66 books of the Bible, so we should know that there's only one source of hope. He says, put your hope in God's soul. Soul, put your hope in God. He knew it, and we should definitely know that the only true source of hope for our soul is God. And more specifically than just God, the hope for our soul is a relationship with God. Not just God somewhere out there, but specifically the hope of our soul is a relationship with God, which Jesus described is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing him and the Father. Okay? And looking back at the woman at the well last week, Jesus promised, if you drink from this living water that I give you, it will become a spring within you welling up to eternal life, this knowledge, this relationship with God. Okay, Ed, if we go to the next slide, which is going back to the top of Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Not any false gods. There's only one living God, isn't there? We saw, as we looked at last week, everyone's soul thirsts for God. Our souls thirst for many things, but there's only one true thing that our, God, our soul was created to thirst for. God. And more specifically than just God, a relationship with God. Okay? That's how we, get, we were made. With a soul thirst that can only be quenched by the living God in a relationship with him. 
And even before Jesus came as the shepherd and the caretaker of our souls, this writer of the psalm knew that the answer to his thirsty and disturbed soul was God. But ever so specifically, he says at the bottom of verse 2, when can I go and meet with God? I've got a thirst for God. My soul is disturbed. The answer is meeting with God. Not just a case of my soul hopes for God. It's to meet with God. How about yours? Do you realize that your soul thirsts to meet with God? Not just hear about God. Not just to come to church. Your soul thirsts to meet with God. Did you know that? Yes, of course you did. Now, remember when Jesus wrote to the Laodicean Christians in the letter we've been studying about their lukewarm state because they thought they were doing pretty well. In their own description, rich, wealthy, and don't need a thing. That's how they saw themselves. But can you remember how Jesus described them? Can you remember? He called them wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's what he said about them. That's what Jesus said, you really are. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How had they not realized that? How had they not realized they're walking around with no clothes on? Is Jesus talking about their physical state? No. They weren't actually blind and naked physically. Was he talking about the state of their spirits then, do you think? Well, I don't think Jesus was talking about their spirits because if they were a church of Christians, you can't be a Christian unless you're born again. Correct? Correct? If they were born again Christians, their spirits would have been born again, new creatures in Christ Jesus, as the scripture says, they've been made holy, joined to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Jesus is not talking about their spirits when he talks about being blind, poor, naked, wretched, pitiful. Does anyone hear B.A. Baracus speak in there? Pitiful! I pity the fool. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think when I hear that word, pitiful. Okay. <laughs> so, do you know what I think which part of these Christians Jesus is referring to when he identifies them as wretched, poor, blind, naked, and their souls. That's what I think Jesus is referring to. In their souls, they are pitiful, blind, poor, wretched, and naked. Some soul pants. Yeah, my soul pants for the Lord. I have thought about mentioning soul pants, but I thought no one would get that. But okay, right. So the psalmist asks, okay, his soul is disturbed. He recognises his soul is wretched, pitiful, blind, naked, all those things, and he asks, where can I go to meet with God? And do you know what? Because of his incarnation. Because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus can now reply to that psalmist and to every other person, this. 
Next slide. Here I am. I'm at the door. I'm knocking to your soul. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Where can I go to meet with God? Jesus says, because I've died for you, because I've resurrected, because I've sent my Holy Spirit, I'm here. I'm knocking. You can meet with me. Isn't that good news? Our souls need to open the door to meet with Jesus. The psalmist said, where can I go to meet with him? My soul's downcast. Jesus says, open the door. Okay? And for every blood-washed, born-again, spirit-dwelt believer, Jesus can say, when can I meet with God? Now. I'm right here, knocking on the door of your downcast soul. Do you remember the chorus from last week's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And do you remember the bit we talked about saying, no thanks, I'm stuffed? I think I heard that a couple of times, that phrase. Last night I was serving cheesecakes and and orange cakes, and a couple of people said, oh, no thanks, I'm stuffed. Nick had a second though, didn't you? <laughs> no thanks, devil. No thanks, world. No thanks, temptation. No thanks, whatever it is. I'm stuffed. My soul is no longer thirsty for that anymore. I've got such a relationship with the Lord Jesus, particularly in that area of my soul now, that I just no longer thirst in that way. The Holy Spirit has welled up in my soul with this amazing eternal life that I no longer am thirsty or hungry for that sort of thing. It is possible because of the welling up of the Holy Spirit into our souls, letting Jesus in to our souls that the things of the earth go strangely dim. It's supernatural. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit it's not by your might or by your power that you can turn around and say this. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's by his power. But at the same time, it does require your participation. Jesus is at the door, but he doesn't kick it in. No matter how poor, blind, wretched and naked you might be, Jesus does not force his way in. You need to open the door. He's at the door, but you need to open it. And I promise you we will get to how to open it. Okay? I just feel we need to linger a little bit more on the direction the Lord has sent me today. So if we continue to break ourselves down into three parts, spirit, soul, and body, where do all temptations get processed? Which part of us do all temptations become processed and decided upon? Soul. Our, our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, isn't it? Okay. All temptations get processed within that area of us, our soul. Okay. 
Now, whether temptations come from the world, they come from our flesh, our fallen nature, or they come from the devil. Okay, according to the Freedom in Christ course, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Wherever these temptations come from, they get processed in our soul. Okay? So let's look at a well-known scripture about temptation. Here it is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, two things. Firstly, people often make a hash up of this verse and paraphrase it as, God will never give you more than you can bear. Have you ever heard that? God will never give you more than you can bear. Is that what it says? No. Firstly, temptation is not from God. Elsewhere in James 1, the Bible says God does not tempt anyone. Okay? So firstly, temptation is not from God. So this verse is not about God giving something, someone, someone something to bear. In this verse, God is the rescuer, not the burdener. Okay? Do we see that? And secondly, is it wise to tell someone who's just lost their parent in hospital, they've driven home, accidentally run their cat over in the driveway, opened the door and found a burst pipe? Sorry to bring back flashbacks, Mike, of this morning. Is it fair to turn around to someone like that and attempt to comfort them by saying, you know, God will never give you more than you can bear? What is that going to do to a troubled soul? <laughs> God, did you do this? As I've said, this verse about our souls being tempted and God is the rescuer, not the burdener. Okay? God is not the source of the problem, but he is the source of the solution when it comes to temptation, okay? And the second thing I wanted to point out about this verse, which you may have never noticed before, is that it says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, okay? If God will not let you be tempted by more than you can bear then that means that in God's all-knowing mind, you are able, well able, to beat this temptation. You might not have beaten it before, but in God's mind, if he's allowing you to be tempted, you can beat it. You have the potential to beat it. Your soul can overcome this. Whether it's a new temptation one of the regular ones, you can overcome it. If you're experiencing it, you've got the potential. God sees you overcoming it. If he has allowed you to be overcome, guess what? 
It also means he knows you can overcome. If he's allowed you to be overcome, it means he knows you can overcome. You may have even given up hope of ever whipping the devil in certain areas. But God knows you can. What makes you overcome today might mean that you're actually an overcomer tomorrow. It might be instant, depending on you and the power of the Holy Spirit. It might be gradual. But just because you're overcome today doesn't mean that you won't be the overcomer tomorrow. Okay? What did the psalmist say about his soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You don't have to do it out loud, but just right now, just tell your soul, put your hope in God. Get into the practice of turning around to your soul that's downcast, that's weary, and just say, put your hope in God. My soul, put your hope in God. Now, when it comes to the temptation of your burdened soul, God's not the source of the temptation, but he can be your resource. God is not the source of your temptation, but he can be the resource of overcoming it. Let's, let's read the scripture up here again fully. It says, no temptation has taken, overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by what, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God provides the way out of our souls being tempted. And where do you usually find a way out? Via a door. Via a door. Does your soul have a door? Yes, yes it does. At least one door that we know of. And who's waiting on the other side of that door? The Lord Jesus Christ, in the form of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out into our hearts. Instead of facing the temptation single-handedly, what should we do? Head for the door. Head for the door, the way out, because the temptation isn't the only thing vying for your soul, vying for attention. Who else is vying for attention in your soul? Can you hear it? Sounds like knocking. It's the door to the way out. And on the other side is the voice of Jesus who is saying, I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll meet together. Matthew 7, 7. Thank you. The door of our soul or your soul that Jesus is knocking on is also the way out of temptation provided by God. You know that temptation that the devil has been whipping you with 
for many years, perhaps? Well, on the other side of the door marked way out is someone who, whilst he was on earth, fashioned his own whip, did he not? To drive out unholy activity in the temple of God. Did Jesus do that? Doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Forming a whip and things, but he did. And since Jesus' redeeming act on the cross, who is now who is now considered to be God's temples? We are. Scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 6:19, we says you are the temple of God. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And do you know what Jesus did after he drove out the worldly things in the temple courts that day? When he made the whip and whipped everything and then turned the tables and drove out the ungodly activity in what should have been a house of prayer in the temple courts? Do you know what he did immediately after that? Mm. Shall we find out? On the screen there, Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple, temple courts, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches and those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. He healed the blind and the lame. When we open the door and invite Jesus into our tempted souls, not only does he begin to drive out the robbers, those things that have been stealing, killing and destroying us from the inside and the outside, he heals too. And we, being temple of the Holy Spirit, as we open the door and meet with Jesus and he cleans and he heals, we become less and less worldly. The things of the world become strangely dim as we become more and more a house of prayer. What is prayer? Conversation with the living God. Meeting with God, not just one way, but a two-way exchange. It says, and he drove out the robbers and healed the blind and the lame. And as we let Jesus be the shepherd and caretaker of our souls, I know he can heal our souls of blindness, like he healed the blind, physically blind, but I also know he can heal the, our souls of the wretched, pitiful, poor, and nakedness of our souls too. Ooh. We'll leave it there. you can remember about Jesus saying about his own soul once. Jesus mentioned his own soul. 
in his life. And what happened in his soul is the total opposite of what he wants to do in your soul. But we'll go there next week, shall we?